Hey, we're the team at GrizzHacks, and I'm your host this week, Shriyash Shuttlekur. Every week, we'll be spending 20-something minutes with an alum, maker, engineer, or prominent individual in our community. They'll share their insights and advice from their career path in order to help you navigate your future. Follow us on social media at Grizz Tech Talks and subscribe to our podcast on your app of choice to stay up to date whenever we release a new episode. Today, we'll be speaking with the Lieutenant Governor of Michigan, Garland Gilchrist. Gilchrist majored in computer science and engineering in college, and since then, his career has taken him to a lot of places, including Microsoft and the Obama campaign, before he became the first ever Director of Innovation and Emerging Technology for the City of Detroit, and in 2019, he became the 64th Lieutenant Governor of the State of Michigan after being selected as Governor Whitmer's running mate. This episode was recorded on May 4th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. And we're live. Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so you've had a very long career path that's taken you to a lot of different places, but I'd love to start by taking it back to sort of your time in college at the University of Michigan studying computer science and computer engineering. Um, so sort of what made you want to study computer science and computer engineering, and do you have any major, uh, do you have any favorite memories from college? Yeah, so honestly, the studying computer engineering and being, working in technology was something, a seed that was planted in me when I was five years old. I got my first computer as a five-year-old uh, living on the east side of Detroit. My grandmother bought it for me. I was the first kid on my block to have a computer, and I fell in love with that thing. And my parents let me do whatever I wanted to it, like taking it apart, putting it together, messing with the software. It was MS-DOS, which is like the amount of computing power on my pinky fingernail right now, but I thought that <laughs> was amazing. And um, I, my first job was building computers, actually. Um, I worked with a guy who had, a, a, he built computers out of his apartment in Southfield and installed them in places around Metro Detroit. The first computers I built, I installed at a rec center on the west side of Detroit. And so I, I've had a love for ferrotechnology for a long time. And those childhood experiences gave me the confidence to to believe that I could make technology do what I wanted it to do, rather than technology being something that like I had that that mastered me, I was able to master it. So coming into college, I was pretty confident that I wanted to study uh, software development specifically uh, and computer engineering in particular, and, and I, I enjoyed it. I embraced it. Now there were it was not without its challenges. Um, you know, as a black student, I graduated with I believe three other black students in the electrical engineering and computer science uh, department my graduating year. And it's the largest department in the College of Engineering, so just to put that in perspective. Um, but one of my most important memories actually was, um, so I really wanted to intern at Microsoft. After my freshman year, I had interned at, at General Motors for the second summer. Okay. And I realized that I wanted to be a software developer and that I wasn't going to be able to software developer, be the software developer that I wanted to be working at a car company. And so I was like sitting in the kitchen with my mom and I'm like, mama, I want to work for Microsoft. And it terrified her because Microsoft is really far away. <laughs> it's in Washington <laughs> state. <laughs> I had to go to the West Coast to do that. But I told her very confidently, having no path to this, that I was going to work at Microsoft the next summer. And sure enough, what happened was uh, coming into that year, I actually resurrected this organization called Black Electrical Engineers and Computer Scientists. It was this, this sort of student group for Black people studying in those majors. Um, and since there weren't that many of us, we felt like we should stick together. 
So I restarted that organization. And then lo and behold, I got an email from the recruiter at Microsoft. And the email said that, hey, I'm coming to Michigan. I want to do a resume writing workshop. And I think you and your organization should be the hosts of this event. And so sure enough, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yes, ma'am, I'll do that. So I had to get the room and order all the pizzas and all that stuff. And I think I got a room that had capacity for like 75 people. And there were, I think, 160 people were piled into this room for this resume writing workshop. So the event was very successful. It actually, um, but what was funny about it is that, so at the end of the event, I'm cleaning up with me. It's just me and the recruiter there. And she has this giant stack of resumes. And she says, uh, well, I hope that your resume is in the stack. And I said, actually, it's not because I wanted to give it to you personally. And so I handed it to her. Uh, and then three months later, I had a Microsoft interview. And then that following summer, I had my first of three internships at Microsoft, where then I went to work uh, after college. So for, for me, the morals of those story, that story are many. One, being active on campus uh, leads to in, a lot of sort of serendipitous uh, potential benefits. Um, two, whenever someone asks you to host an event for them, you should do it. And three, taking the chance to be able to engage with a, with a person at a company personally is always going to be um, a positive thing. I know that's going to be really weird in the context of like COVID-19, but whenever we do get back on campus, um, those kind of personal connections really matter. That recruiter is someone who I still have a relationship with today. Um, and I met her when I was a sophomore in college. So um, all, all, this, all these things matter. Those relationships really do matter. Wow, that's that's such a cool story, and it really speaks to the power of, of networking and and how, as we you know get more involved in our community and in our campus and clubs and stuff like that, we can really you know meet people that can take our career in, in you know the next um, phase. So I'd love to sort of hear about once you once you graduated and started started working at Microsoft, um, what did you sort of work on there, and what was your experience? at a large tech company, especially as you know, a recent grad? Sure, so I, in, as I said, I interned at Microsoft for three summers and they all were with the same team. Um, I did, cons- I, and I it worked on SharePoint, Windows SharePoint Services was my team, which is like the foundational uh, software under the SharePoint product that some people may be familiar with. That's also where I worked for all four of my years. So I spent the better part of seven years working with SharePoint, got a chance to ship three versions of it over that time. and. Um, but what was interesting, though, is I think that some of the decision points. So after my second internship, I did consider interning for a different team. I interviewed with a different team, actually had a, had, accept, had a position or offer for working at a different team, but I chose to work for SharePoint. And then after my, um, after my third internship, when it was time to negotiate a full-time position, I had an offer from another organization in Microsoft Office, a guy who had come to be a friend of mine during my internships. We actually had the same birthday. <laughs> and um, he, but one of the things he told me, I, I wasn't really familiar with his product. Um, and what he said to me, which really stuck with me is that, you know, look, as bad as I want you to come work for me, um, you know, you have good leadership in SharePoint. They're good people. You like them, they like you. And you should always choose the people to work with, not the technology. And that will help take you far. So this guy basically advised me to go work at a different team, um, which I always was really struck by. And that showed me, one, that he actually cared about my well-being as a professional, which I really appreciated. Um, but so, so I was able to come into Microsoft with mm-hmm. relationships, um, with, uh, with some perspective. And I knew people both on my team. And I was a pretty active intern. I used to host 
the other interns at my apartment to watch movies and stuff like that. So I actually knew a fair amount of people when I got there as a full timer. Um, so so that that really helped ease that transition. Microsoft was is was and is a huge company, um, but the culture there was was actually really extraordinary to work in um, as far as like the camaraderie, the the staff activities, um, how Microsoft took care of its employees was really quite admirable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things you hear about tech companies being really famous for, like the free food and like the games at work and the extracurricular activities like that, like Microsoft was really a first mover in all the, and pioneering all those kinds of things um, that other companies like Google and Facebook have sort of emulated and, and extended. So um, I got a chance to benefit from that when I graduated. I graduated in 2005, just to put this in time perspective. And moved up to moved up to Seattle then, um, but it was a really great experience. I like I said, I learned a tremendous amount. I learned how to ship software products. I I did. Uh, I was an engineer. I worked on the test and the testing um, side and the development side, um, and so I got a chance to connect with a lot of great people. I have a lot of great friends who I'm still connected with um, from my time there in Seattle. But it was great. It was a really great chapter. I didn't. I left Microsoft, but I didn't leave Microsoft because it was a bad place. Um, I left Microsoft because I had decided that it, I wanted to do a different thing with my career. Gotcha. Yeah, actually, I was just about to touch into that. Um, so yeah. you, you worked for Microsoft for four years, correct? Um, around yeah, four, four years. Um, and, you know, I worked on a, a, a product that was wildly successful. It is still the fastest growing product in the history of Microsoft, zero to a billion dollars in revenue in nine months. Yeah, I've heard about SharePoint in, like, my classes <laughs> currently. So so it's, it's crazy to, to hear that you worked on, like, that back in the day. like. Yeah, in 2005. Um, so at what point did you sort of know that knew that you wanted to leave Microsoft and, and sort of take on a sort of career shift? And, and how did you go about doing that? So this is where the sort of my my political experiences kind of come in. So uh, when I was on campus at Michigan, I was really active in terms of student organizations when it came to engineering. But I was also active with non-engineering student organizations. I, I ran an organization for black men on campus. And um, that connected me with a lot of people. Well, when I got out to Seattle, I actually started a political blog in 2005. It was called The Super Spade, Black Thought at the Highest Level. Very, very precocious name. And so basically, in my spare time, I started writing about current events and news and politics. And what ended up happening is I had a lot of fun with that. That blog started getting you know, kind of popular. This was super early in terms of blogging, 05. And like my, I started with my two best friends. You have these three uh, black men writing about politics. That was a very rare thing in 2005. And I got a chance to make, uh, connect with other sort of people of color who were activists on the internet. And I got introduced to this whole culture. Um, I'd never met a political activist before, like someone who got paid to be an activist. (laughs) So what ended up happening is relationships from that blog uh, pointed me to people who were working in this political space. And, and then serendipitously, or, or you know, I got an email um, to go volunteer at the Obama campaign office in Seattle, downtown Seattle, which happened to be two blocks away from my wife's apartment. And so the confluence of my blog being successful and then having this amazing experience on the Obama campaign, going and starting as a volunteer in 2008, and leaving as running all of the social media for the state of Washington and being on the team to, to help create the text message uh, volunteer recruitment tool. Um, that showed me that I could marry my interest in technology with my passion for helping people in, increase their political power. 
And so it was somewhere, uh, you know, after after the President Obama became President Obama, that I was like, oh, you know what? I think this is something that I, I would like to be able to do. There are clearly people who do this work, who enjoy it. It's fulfilling on both a professional and a personal level. And so that was, so like early 2009 is when that light bulb kind of went off. Um, but nevertheless, though, making that career transition was not easy because here I am living in Seattle. Um, my wife and I, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, we had decided that we were going to leave Seattle. So I was trying to convince all these people that this guy, this guy from Seattle who didn't ever, who had never worked in politics before, was just a blogger, was going to like move across the country to work at a nonprofit. Like I had to actually convince them that I was going to do that. You're a software developer. Like right. you make all this money. Like are you really going to do that? And sure enough, though, um, because of those relationships that I built through my blog, um, people really helped me. And there was an organization that chose to take a chance on me. And that organization was called the Center for Community Change in Washington, D.C. And they enabled me to change my career and really change my life. I would not be where I am um, had I not made that choice and had they not made that opportunity for me. Wow, that's, that's so cool to hear about. Um, so fast forwarding a bit, I know you gave a TED Talk in, in 2011 about the Detroit diaspora, which I thought it was really great. Um, if anyone's listening in, definitely recommend checking that out. Um, what sort of made you want to move back to Detroit after spending all these years outside of Detroit? I was always guilty for leaving home. Um, <laughs> I, I love, I had that, I had, I had guilt. Literally, I was guilty about it. Um, you know, this is the city and the, and the state and the metro area that bore and bred and fed me and made me who I am. It, it gave me my work ethic, my sensibilities. And that foundation is what enabled me to be successful um, wherever I went. And I felt bad about that. I felt like I needed to be useful to the place that made me who I am. And so like I started Detroit Diaspora because when I moved to Seattle, the people who welcomed me to Seattle were all Detroiters. When I moved to Washington, D.C., the people who welcomed me to D.C. were all Detroiters. Like, literally, we had a birthday party. My wife had a birthday party for me in D.C. in my house, our house, two months after we moved. And 30, 30 people were there, like 25 of them from Detroit. Oh, wow. So... So the Detroit Astro Project started because I recognized that there was a Detroit community in every community because the state of Michigan, as you may remember, in the 2010 census was the only state that lost population. And that's because we literally were exporting people to every other market in the country. And so this was my, my hope was to connect those Detroit communities and those other places and then channel those people's interest and love for their home to help them be useful to Detroit. And then ultimately I wanted everybody to move home. Like I intended to at some point. <laughs> um, so it, that was really where, where that came from. And so I, it was the, I was that I was so happy um, that my wife and I were able to find a path to go home in 2014 after being gone for nine years for me, we were in DC for five years. Um, our children, we had twin babies, 10 month old, 10 months old um, that we drove back home to Detroit. And I, you couldn't tell me nothing. Like I was the happiest person um, in the city when I got home and started working for the city of Detroit. I, it was amazing because I felt like I could use everything that I'd learned in school and in my career and with my relationships to be able to be useful to the city that I loved. And there was nothing more. You couldn't tell me have there could not have been a better professional opportunity for me than that. That that's awesome, and I, I think that's like a recurring theme I hear around people who sort of leave Detroit um, for their careers and they, they end up coming back and they just love it so much. Um, 
and they have a lot to contribute here too. So um, that that's super cool hearing your story. Um, so then afterwards, you you came back here and you started working as the director of innovation and emerging technology for the city of Detroit, which sounds like a really really cool role. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about you know like what what did you do in that role and, and what were the, yeah. some of the projects that you worked on. Yeah, let me give let me give start with some career advice. By yeah, listening. whenever um, whenever you have the opportunity to be the first person to do a job or like to do a made up job, you should take it because you get okay. the chance to define what the role is, define success for it, define impact and make it your own. And that's exactly what happened with the role that I took, which was a newly created position in city government in Detroit. There was a new administration that had come in in 2014, and this administration um, had hired a chief a chief information officer, a woman named Beth Niblock, this woman who had been poached from Louisville, Kentucky, to come up here to Detroit. And uh, she had been charged with making technology make sense in city government. And I was the first person she hired. Uh, and if you saw Beth and I, like, in a photograph, we could not be more different people but she was so it wasn't is such an amazing human being and 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 our our partnership led to i think some really productive things for the people of city of detroit my job basically was to channel all of my experience both as a technologist but also as a community builder to try to make um make it so that people could trust the government in detroit again um for so many reasons and for so many years a lot of people who lived in the city had lost faith in, in city government. And so my job was to use my tools and experiences to, to fix that. And so I approached it in a couple of ways, two big ones. One was through, I thought that you can't trust things that you cannot see. And so the, the, the premise behind the open data project policy and portal that I launched was that if people could see what the government is doing from an operational data standpoint, it could help them, one, just realize the government is doing stuff. Two, um, recognize that they may have a chance to impact what the government is doing and change it if they want it to be different. And three, it could shed light on probably what isn't happening, but what could be happening. So um, I, I wrote the open data policy, which was great because I'd never written a policy before, but I wrote the policy that was signed in, as an executive order um, from the mayor in February of 2015. Um, I launched the open data portal which was a software platform that's still there at data.detroitmi.gov, um, was able to put together this amazing partnership with a vendor called Socrata to basically make that available to the city for free through this innovative philanthropic partnership. And then um, was able to build a team to support making more information about the city available to Detroiters in an accessible way. Um, and so I think that helped to lay the foundation for how the city uh, was able to rebuild its relationship with its residents. And that's, that was super important. The second thing was, um, how can we actually enable the city to be better at responding to people's needs and solving problems? And so that was where the Improve Detroit um, application came from. This is multi-platform experience for people to be able to make non-emergency service requests of city government. Broken street light, a pothole, which is ironic given my job now, um, you know, uh, a, a clogged storm drain, um, reporting illegal dumping, uh, the or abandoned vehicles, these kinds of things that you could report either through a smartphone app, through SMS text messaging, on a website, most importantly, via regular phone call or for going to certain locations like rec centers 
um, to be able to report these problems and then utilize this platform, which was called C-ClickFix, to be able to track the status of the request that you made in a, in a way that was transparent and accountable. Um, and so- what, what were the biggest sort of challenges in the role in, in terms of sort of bringing about these, these very modern changes in you know, what is regarded as a very, you know, in, in government, it's very old, Sort of so I'll talk. I'll talk about technology. systems, and I'll talk about yes. Yeah, so I'll talk about systems, and I'll talk about people. Yeah. So on the system side, the big challenge was the systems that the city used were not designed to make information available to the public. So, for example, the system that the incumbent system for managing building permits was like not a bad system. But it was not, it, there was not a feature <laughs> to like make something that was readable or understandable by a normal person who didn't work in the building safety, environment and engineering department for the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> literally I spent months uh, trying to prepare this open data portal of like writing like ESL scripts and stuff that would basically take exports from this system on a periodic basis transform them into uh, data files that could then be uh, fed into this Socrata open data portal and then made pretty. Like that was like, like so I got really dirty with all the data transformation and all that stuff. Um, but because I had to make that work for these systems, it was essentially putting a layer on top of those systems because that capability was did not exist. So that was, that was a challenge, but um, it gave me a chance to one, really understand the inner workings of a lot of government systems and two, build relationships with a lot of people who have been you know, doing the people's work for the city of Detroit for a long time. And like that, a lot of people just don't, you don't know, you don't have a reason to meet these people, but who were really smart and worked really hard and were good at what they did. We were just trying to sort of make that day, that make that work more accessible in a different way. And on the people side, um, it led to a change in posture for some folks. Um, this was never a question of capability. I did not meet, you know, a professional who worked in the city government who was like bad at their job. We just tried to think about how they could make it so the public could experience the work that they do. That was never part of the way that the technology function was defined in city government. And I want to give Beth Niblock a lot of credit for that. Mm -hmm. She saw that the IT department had a role to play in terms of the public's relationship with the city government. And I shared that vision too. And that's, I think, why we worked so well together. And so it was, how can we sort of instill that ethos into more of our team members um, so that they can then you know, trigger in their mind their ideas about how that could how that could work as well. Gotcha. Um, that that's super interesting to hear about. Um, so, given the the state of things, and um, after living through the two thousand eight and two thousand nine economic crisis, do you have any advice on a closing note to college students, recent grads, and young adults looking to sort of break into technology today? Yeah, the, one of the big differences I think now versus when I was starting out is I think it's much it the the platforms that enable you to demonstrate what you can build are much more readily accessible than they were in 2005. So so like the ability to show that you can build something that works and that is functional um, and that meets a need that addresses a market and that you can put together a product. I think that that skill is something that will always be valuable, that cannot be outsourced, and that will always be credible. 
And so I think that um, really biasing yourselves towards like, if you have an idea, like you take the initiative and put that idea into the world um, is really important. Um, if I'm hiring technologists, like I care that they can actually build stuff and I want to see things that they can build that work. And so I would always bias toward that. That'd be my, my number one advice. The second thing is um, whenever you, like I said it earlier, but I'll repeat it because it, it is important. I think that um, it's important to really try to find ways to, um, if you're offered a, a, an opportunity um, that may not be the best defined thing, uh, but if you're able to make it your own, um, it's going to be it's going to be better. That has been the one of the sort of threads that's run through my career, um, as I've been fortunate enough to be able to have opportunities that I got a chance to mold, and um, that has turned out really well because it enabled um, you know my person to come through, and the and that feeds into my last point, which is you know bring your whole self to whatever you're working on. Um, all of your ideas, all of your life experiences, they will make you better at what you're doing because we're the sum total of those experiences. We don't know precisely what our experiences are, um, you know, preparing us for, but, but we do know, or I can say at least from directly from experience that all of that preparation matters. And so whether you stick with engineering or whether you go into something random like public service, like I did, um, I'm a better public servant because of my experiences in the other parts of my career that don't seem like they, they draw a straight line to this conclusion. Um, but, but whatever, whatever that line takes you, just, just own your experiences. Don't try to say that this is not relevant or this wasn't important to, to, to preparing for this because it all is, it really matters and you'll be better for it. Awesome. I think that's, that's great advice and it's a perfect note to leave on. Um, and with that, thank you so much for joining today. And um, also thank you for, for your work in, in public service and government right now. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good luck, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Grizz Tech Talks. I had a wonderful time chatting with Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, and I hope you enjoyed tuning in. You can stay up to date with our podcast and recent Grizz Tech Talk news by visiting our social media pages and following us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay safe and stay curious.